And uh, we've been in a series over the last now four weeks. This is week five. Um, I've extended it. And so originally it was going to be four weeks, but um, we're extending it out a little bit longer. And uh, and so we're going to jump into some things. But if you haven't, uh, we've, the title of the series is The Upside Down Kingdom, uh, because the Bible challenges us to live in a way that is counterintuitive. It's not just counter to the culture, although it is. It is also counter to us, because by nature, we are all pretty selfish people. And I know we all know somebody who is way more selfish than us, which makes us feel good about ourselves. But at our, at our core, if you don't believe it, have some children. Because they're, you know, you made that and it's a reflection of you and, you know, a two-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old in my case can be pretty selfish. And uh, you're like, I didn't make that. That is not me. That is the devil in that child. But the truth is, it is part of us. And, uh, and, and so, but uh, the Bible challenges us many ways, many times. One of the most famous, ser- famous sermons that Jesus ever preached comes out of Matthew 5. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, so some of the content we've been pulling from that. Um, but yet, even throughout the scriptures, there are many things that challenge us to live and to be different. And so today we're going to jump in and look at another topic. I would encourage you, if you haven't um, been able to take and listen to the first couple of weeks, um, I've done two of them, and then Pastor Daniel and then Pastor Sean did one as well. And uh, and so today we're going to jump in, and uh, I know it's like a 1,000 degrees outside, but I hope you brought some steel-toe shoes with you today. There's your warning, and uh, there you go. And so we're just going to jump into the scriptures together today. And uh, how many of you know that the Word of God is good? Yes. The Bible says that it teaches us and instructs us and corrects us. And so, uh, not last week, but the weekend before, Pastor Sean actually talked about forgiving people. And I'm actually going to drill down on that a little bit even further and uh, look at some things here from the Word of God. But we're going to jump into Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter five, starting in verse thirty-eight. And this is a a, a statement that Jesus makes multiple times, really in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, but in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, he makes this statement multiple times. He says, you have heard that the law says, in other words, you know this to be the way it is. Like you've been taught, you've been told this is how it is. And it says that the punishment must match the the injury. In other words, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say... So in other words, you know this, but I'm going to tell you something different. I'm going to challenge what you know to be true. I'm not saying this. Jesus is saying this. And the Bible will challenge what we know so that we can have something better. I mean, this is a theme throughout the scriptures. Doesn't mean that it's comfortable. Doesn't mean that it's convenient. But Jesus here says, you know, you've heard it said, but now I say, Do not resist an evil person. You're welcome. Do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. I always like to make the joke, well, what happens if I run out of cheeks? You just got to turn around, (laughs) right? You got two more in the back, so you, you know... I got at least four good hits, you know... So says that we're to offer the other cheek, or in my case, cheeks. Says if you are sued in court, give your shirt, or and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it too. 
Now, some of you know this, but at the time, and, and the people that Jesus, the Jews that Jesus was talking to lived in occupied territory. The Romans were the commanding control. They were the government, and there were laws. Like, you had to pay your taxes. Yay! To Rome, by the way. It wasn't even for your betterment. All that money left and went to another country. I mean, you think it's bad paying taxes to the country you live in. Think about paying taxes to a country you don't live in. Right? But one of the laws said that if at any point a Roman soldier could walk up to a Jewish person and say, Hey, carry my stuff. And by law, they had to carry it a mile. It wasn't a choice. It wasn't an option. It was the rule of law. And Jesus says, you know this, that you have to carry it a mile. But Jesus says, hey, I want you to go beyond that. In other words, do more than just what is necessary. Just do more than just the minimals. So we have that phrase, go the extra mile. This is where that phrase comes from. In other words, don't just do what's convenient. Don't just do what you have to do. Go above and beyond that. See, Jesus is challenging their ideas, but he also goes way beyond. And really what he's saying is go way beyond even what you expect and what you think is right or normal or logical. Sometimes our logical brains will actually get in the way of the truth of God's word. Because you'll read something, you're like, but that doesn't make no sense. I know that was really good English. But it's true. And our brains and our thoughts and our opinions can actually become adversarial to the word of God's effectiveness in our life. What Jesus is actually challenging in them is not just, hey, carry the bag for a mile. He's actually saying, hey, whatever the standard of the world is, I'm telling you, you've got to go above and beyond that. So it's not just about carrying the bag. This is about a way of life and of living. And what happens, and so I, I want to jump into this with this thought in mind, is that Jesus is challenging, hey, what you know versus what I'm telling you. And, to the end, and so two weeks ago, Pastor Sean talked about this, and he talked about forgiveness, everybody's favorite word. Yes. Everybody loves forgiveness. Everybody loves to forgive everybody. But today I actually want to talk about revenge. We like that word. Like, yes, give me the eye for the eye. Give me the tooth for the tooth. Like, I want what's due to me. And injustice has been done, and I demand justice. Because Jesus is telling them here. He says, hey, if somebody comes and slaps you, don't, don't respond, don't retaliate, don't, don't react to them. Just turn around. Keep your mouth shut. That is challenging for me. I thought this was interesting. I was doing just studying and doing some reading this week about this. And there are several people that are credited, so I'm not going to give anybody credit. So I wrote this. <laughs> if nobody else is going to claim it, I'm going to claim it. it. Says that he who studies revenge keeps his own wounds green, which otherwise would heal. So every time you rehearse it in your mind, you're picking at that wound. And by picking at that wound, you're refusing to allow the healing that God wants to bring into your life. 
See, revenge takes on many forms. Sometimes it's straight up payback. Like, man, you got me, I'm going to get you. Because, I mean, you know, revenge, and especially getting somebody, it feels good for a moment. It's like, man, they deserved it. They got what they had coming. But it's a bitter pill thereafter. It doesn't satisfy the way that you think that it would. But it also takes on a lot less obvious forms than just a straight up, I'm a, payback's coming, you better watch your back. It takes on a lot of other forms too, and, and they're a lot, maybe not as noticeable. Because see, here's the reality is that we all possess a level of pettiness within our soul. Some at different degrees or whatever, but I don't care how long you've been saved or how refined you are, you still got some petty in you. I'm going to let that sit for a second. We all have it. I have it. And we can all be just something special. Right? We have to keep an eye out for it. But let me give you some examples of some other ways that revenge looks. It's just a little exaggeration when somebody kind of lies about us or maybe presents us in a light that's not that becoming. So we just start a little lie. Just a, it, It's not really a lie. It's just not the whole truth. But, you know, I can paint them to look a certain way. But, you know, if I just change the way people look at them, it makes me feel better about myself. It's not really a lie. It's not really a sin. It's not that big a deal. But that's motivated from revenge. Because if you didn't want to hurt them, you wouldn't have said it to begin with. It's just a little, just a little thing. But see, that turns into straight up gossip, which in the church we use this. Oh, we need to pray for so-and-so. Let me tell you what they did. (laughs) We got to call a special prayer meeting for brother so-and-so because the brother needs it. You know. But I just, I need to make sure you know the whole story so that you can accurately pray. I don't want to, you know. But as long as you end up on my side before we pray, we're going to be good. As long as you think less of him, well, that's revenge in action. And then it goes, even beyond that, it goes into full-on slander. In other words, somebody tells a lie or does injustice to you, therefore you now tell a lie and do an injustice to them. And slander is a full-out lie. you making stuff up. And it happens quick. And the devil is so good at just dangling that carrot, just getting us to take that little, just that little next step. You say that to one person, and you go to this next person, and you go to this next person, and the story what? All of a sudden, where it was kind of black and white, kind of small, all of a sudden you got a full motion picture of the moment. And like, let me tell you the story. And all of a sudden, what the story is actually isn't even the truth. Or it's taken out of a completely different context. Proverbs says this, is that everyone seems right until you hear the other side of the story. Proverbs says this, 
Proverbs 10, 12 says that hatred stirs up quarrels or strife. It says, but love will uh, makes up for or covers all offenses and sins. Because revenge leads to hatred, by the way. Like, oh, I don't hate anybody. You got some special targets out on some special people? I used to call it my hit list. The ten people that if God would, I would take them out. I know you don't have a hit list. Don't judge me. We don't say a hit list anymore. We just say, oh, they're dead to me. It's the same thing. Right? See, one of the the things and one of the traits of revenge is that revenge blinds us and it tempts us and leads us to overreact. Why? Because it changes the way that we see. Hatred and, and, and anger and revenge, everything gets colored red. And it's not even about what was said or how it was said. It's not even about the person. It's actually because it touched a nerve deep within your soul. And now there's a response to that. And it's an overreaction. I mean, it's one thing to get hurt. But how many of you know that there are different levels of display of pain? I mean, some people really injure themselves. Arms like dangling off or something. They're like, oh, can somebody take me to the doctor? You know, tough guys. Some people get a paper cut. They're like, oh my gosh! Like, it's a total full-on freak-out moment. And everybody has to stop everything. And we need to go to the emergency room. Well, that happens in life, too. They're not physical pains. I can't believe they'd say that about me. I can't believe that they would tell somebody this. Or, you know, I shared that in confidence. And now they're out telling my business. And now all of these things. And, and all of a sudden, that every time we repeat it, man, we're just we're pouring gas on that fire. And that fire gets hotter and hotter and hotter. And it begins to consume us until all we can see and all we can think and all we can talk about is that person and that moment and that thing. And we don't realize that the enemy is just robbing us blind the whole time. Why? Because we're so focused with a revenge mindset. See, when we get that revenge mindset, we become irrational. And anger does a funny thing to the human soul. It will make you a person that you are not. It really will. You know, man, I've got to, I've got to settle this story. I've got to right this wrong. And what happens? I've already kind of said this, but many times the memory is actually multiple times worth worse than the original injustice. And this isn't always the case, but I would say the majority, like the vast majority of the time, is that the the actual wound or injustice. We build it up, and we just begin again. We pour that gas on that fire. It just keeps getting bigger, bigger, bigger. Because we start to embellish, we begin to interpret. Why well, they didn't say this, but I know this is what they meant. I know this is what what, the, what was really supposed, what they really intended. We begin to interpret results that haven't even happened. I know everyone. I mean, how many of you would say you're a creative person in this room? I am not a creative. I'm a mechanically creative. Person. Every one of us are creative because you create things all the time in your mind. You fill in the gaps of stories. You fill in uh, intentions. You fill in words. Every one of us create. 
You're like, well, I don't believe that. Well, what do you think fear is? It's a creation in your mind of something that isn't even real. You are a creative person. Your mind has unbelievable ability to paint a picture of what the future is. And the Bible tells us we can't change tomorrow. But yet our mind will tell us. See, we become the expert prosecutor against our offender. Lawyer up, baby. Let's go to court. I got my case together. You are not ready for the fury that is about to be unleashed because you are guilty and I am right. Let's go. I mean, how many of you have ever like had a disagreement or an argument or something with somebody and then after the fact you thought, man, I wish I would have thought to say that in that moment because that would have been perfect. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you want to call them and be like, hey, you remember when you said this? Well, this is what I should have said. And then you play the whole thing out. This was the perfect response. This is what they would have responded. We would be reconciled now, but they're a jerk. And that's why we're not in relationship anymore. Play this whole thing out in your mind. Proverbs 17, 9 says, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter will separate friends. How do you repeat a matter? In your mind. And that revenge begins to kick in. And Jesus said, hey, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I'm telling you it's something different. There's a different way of life. 1 Corinthians 13, 5, the Amplified Bible, just a portion of verse 5 says this, is that love is not provoked. Like, what does provoked mean? It means it can't be prodded. can't be, like, you know, like when you were growing up, if you had siblings, that somebody just walk up to you and just, quit touching me. I'm not touching. My sister would do this. She'd get like half an inch from me. She'd do like this. I'm like, quit it. Stop touching me. She was evil, by the way. She's been redeemed, but <laughs> she was evil. She'd do that kind of stuff all the time. It's like, I'm not touching you. Mom, tell her quit touching me. I'm not touching him. Stop it. We can get provoked a lot easier than we would like to admit. Says that love, the Amplified says this love is not provoked, nor overly sensitive or easily angered. We live in a culture that is easily triggered. That's the modern word of this. Love is not easily triggered. We wear our emotions on our sleeves, and you better not come near. Continues and it says it does not take into account an in, a wrong that's been endured. In other words, it doesn't give it another thought. I know what you said and I know what you did, but I'm not going to give it another thought. Well, how do we do that? Because some of us have been carrying wounds and burdens and, 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 and these ideas and thoughts of payback for a long time. Look, I grew up in a family where some of my family didn't talk for not just decades, I mean 50 years. And they would talk on somebody's deathbed. Everybody else leave the room. Me and so-and-so need to talk. Y'all ain't talked in 50 years. Why you need to talk now? That was my dad's side of the family. Well, 
See, what we don't realize though is that that is robbing us of the life of God that he has for us. It really is. First Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, Most of all, in, in other words, of extreme importance, continue to show deep love for one another. And it repeats this thought that we read in Proverbs. For love covers a multitude of sin. Love will cover a multitude. Not one act, not a second act. Uh, I don't know how many a multitude is, but a multitude is a lot. That's what I know. I mean, the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, how many times we got to forgive somebody? Seven times? And in my mind, Jesus laughs and goes, seven times 70 in a day. And the response was, Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> Jesus, I am not there. Can you, I mean, 490 times in a day. I'm like, are there that many minutes in the day? Like, Jesus, do I have to forgive while I sleep? Like, do I need to wake up and repent of my dreams where I got, like. I mean, you ever had a, a time where you woke up and were angry because of a dream you had? I'll pick on my wife. I've gotten in trouble for things that I did in her dream. I'm like, baby, I was asleep next to you. Why are you mad at me? It was your dream. It's your fault. I slept great. Why we got to ruin a good morning? I mean, I just saved a marriage right there. I'm just, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. Love covers a multitude of sins. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Sean shared this thought. I think I shared it last week, but it's such a good quote. I'm going to share it again. It says, to be a Christian is to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. MLK said this, I have decided to stick with love because hate is far too great of a burden to carry. All right, that was the easy part of the message. Now we're going to get to the hard part, by the way. Because we all associate with the first part. Because that's our natural being. I mean, we love to hold a grudge. We're good at it. But the Bible tells us to live very differently. So Romans chapter 12, we're going to start in verse 9. We could park on the first five words of this scripture for the rest of the day. We won't, but we could. Romans 12, 9 says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be without hypocrisy. What does that mean? It says, let your love be pure. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't smile with your face, but hate with your heart. Love the pureness, the genuineness of your heart. What, how, do, how do you define love that you want ultimate good for that other person? Like, I release you of whatever it is I've been holding against you. That's not easy to do. But it says, let love be without hypocrisy. Don't say one thing, don't look one way, but yet feel something different. Be true, be pure in your love. It says, arbor what is evil, hate what is evil. It says, cling to what is good. I could have highlighted every word in that, by the way. I thought about that after. I was like, man, I highlighted a lot on that one. Let love be without hypocrisy. 
says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervor or fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation. That means when you're in the midst of the fire, be patient. I don't like that. I want to fight back. I've got my case. I'm ready to go to court, Jesus. I am locked, loaded, and I'm ready to aim. Let me open the case, please. Be patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints. Why am I worried about everybody else? I got my own problems. We're called to live different. It says, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and bless and do not curse. Like, dude, I don't know how I can forgive that person. I don't even know where to start. I don't know. I, I have no idea because nothing in me wants to forgive them. You bless them with your words. It's hard to hate somebody that you consistently pray for. You're like, I can't stand them. I just told you how to change that. If you will, and the key is, if you will consistently pray for them. And it's hard to pray for somebody. Well, you, you can pray wrong. Lord, get them. <laughs> Lord, I read about you smiting. I'm not sure what that means, but could you smite them? That's not a prayer that the Lord can honor. But when you begin to pray... And you begin to bless the one who has hurt you. Healing comes to you. And it also not only heals you. But it actually begins to allow the Lord to begin to work on them. So you you bless with your mouth. You bless with your words. Don't curse them. Bless them. It is good for our hearts. We need this. Drop down to verse 17. You can go and read this for context later, but I skipped a few verses just for the sake of time. But verse 17 says, never pay back evil with more evil. It's not an eye for an eye. It's not a tooth for a tooth. It's not equals. It says, do such things in a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Like the people around you ought to be like, you want me to go fight them for you? Because you ain't doing nothing about that. And what they did was wrong okay it's okay I don't need somebody else to fight my battles I've already got somebody on my side the best detective is already on the case but we're to live in a way that is honorable I can't believe that you wouldn't have said anything you need to write a letter to HR and tell them what they said about you Now, as Christians, we are not a doormat. That's not what I'm saying in this. It's not just like, well, just take advantage of me. Like, no. Like, if somebody does something that is illegal, I have a responsibility to go report that. But that doesn't mean that because I report it that I have to hate them. No, I just don't want them to hurt somebody else. awfully quiet in here today. 
Do things, live in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Do all, or do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. I really like the, the way the New, Trans, New King James Version says this. It says, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. If possible, do everything that you can. Some people just aren't peaceable people. And you're like, you know what? I've done everything I can do. I've owned my part, but you just aren't interested. So I've done what I can do. Picks up here. It says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will revenge and I will pay them back, says the Lord. Everybody say that other word that's highlighted in this next verse. Where is it? It says, in, what's that green word? Instead. Anybody not know what instead means? I just want to make sure we all, we're good? I will revenge and I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead. So instead of getting revenge, do this. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. I'm going to let that joker starve. I ain't doing that. Mm-mm. You came to hurt me. You got what you deserve. Starve. In, except the Bible tells us something different. That's the problem. Our flesh? Nope. But are we following Christ or are we following ourselves? Because his word says instead... If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you. Don't let evil conquer you. Some of you need to get off the TV. Some of you need to get off the internet and quit reading all the craziness that they're putting out there. You know, they're not paid to tell us the truth. You do know that. They are paid to sell us stuff. And if it keeps us coming back, they make more money. Now, I'm not saying to be ignorant. I'm not saying to put your head in the sand. That's not what I'm saying at all. I pay attention to what's going on in the world, but I give it very limited access. I'm not going to go just read article after article after article. Not going to just listen to it all the time. I mean, just practically, if we gave the word of God as much time as we gave to our update of what's happening on the national global scene, I think our life would look a lot different. The problem is the scales look like this probably. And we wonder why we're anxious. Because the Bible actually predicts the future perfectly. The Bible's actually the truth. The news is not. I found this as I was reading some things this week. I thought this was really good. Oh, let me finish. It says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. We are to be countercultural. We are to, what, be like light shining in a dark place. And we're to let, what, Never that we're to conquer evil by doing what is good, what is right in the eyes of God. 
one thing that I was reading, it says this. Um, it says, since you believe that God is in control and is working for your good, you will have the confidence to be self-controlled. If I really trust God, I can actually manage my emotions by the help and the work of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean that I have to like it, but the Holy Spirit will whisper, don't say that. You need to change your thoughts. It's time to move on. Quit repeating that. Get off the hamster wheel. If I believe that God is working everything for my good, I will have the confidence to be self-controlled and godly even when people lie about me. Even when people are dishonest, untruthful, even when they say things and do things and take advantage of me. I mean, I've had that happen where people have actually taken advantage of me in the area of finances. I'm a numbers guy. I know numbers and I know what things should cost. And I know what you charge. And I know that's not a right price. And there have been times I've had to choose my reputation as a Christian over my right to get a fair price on something. Now, I'm a kind of confronter type of personality. So that presents me with a challenge. Can I just like say it like I want to say it? You screwed me and I want my money back. Is that okay to say on a Sunday morning? But yet I knew that if I went to defend and to get what was mine, it was going to affect my reputation, my character as a believer, a follower of Christ. And so what do I do? Do I just get run over? No, I trust God and say, God, you know. And you're more than able to provide more than what was stolen from me. As a matter of fact, the Bible says if I catch a thief, it has to be repaid to me seven times. So devil, you stole, joker. Have fun bringing it back sevenfold. Psalm says that God will create a picnic, a a, a banquet for me in the presence of my enemies. They're going to feed me. But not if my mind is like, oh, I'm going to get you. You the first one. You next to? That's how we think. No, no. We're sitting at the table in the presence of my enemies. In the presence of those. God creates a feast in front of me. What they meant to harm me, God's going to make them come and watch me in my blessing. In his provision. See, I believe that nobody displays this better for us than Jesus does. In Isaiah 53, 7, it says that that Jesus was oppressed and treated harshly, and yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter as a sheep is silent before the shears. He did not open his mouth. This was spoken 700 years or written 700 years before Jesus even came. And yet we see this in really the the final chapters of Jesus' life. Jesus talked a lot while he was on the earth until the end and he didn't talk a lot. I mean, there's even a moment where Jesus is with Pilate, right? 
The Sanhedrin had come and, and gathered Jesus. They had arrested him and said, you know, that he was trying to produce an uprising against Rome and made all these false allegations and all this stuff. And Jesus comes before Pilate. And Pilate begins to ask some questions. And Jesus doesn't respond. And the way I, that I kind of, you know, I'm a sarcastic person. So I read the Bible and Pilate looks and asks some questions. Jesus doesn't even respond to him. Pilate's like, hey, dude, I'm the man. Whatever I say goes. You might want to answer my question. And Jesus looks at him and says, the only authority you have, which has been given by my father. And then Pilate says, are you the son of God? And Jesus just says, you said it, not me. He didn't even say that. Right? So even when he could have made his case to Pilate, just got off 100%. Because, I mean, it was so bad that Pilate's wife comes to him and says, do not do anything to that man. I had a dream. Don't mess with him. I mean, the cards are stacked in Jesus' favor in Pilate's house. Pilate likes him. His wife has a, a dream. She's like, oh, hush. But yet Jesus stays silent. He's ridiculed. He's all of these things. And so we see at the Garden of Gethsemane, if anybody knows betrayal, it's Jesus. Here's the thing. You can only be betrayed by somebody close. And it has a special sting when it's close. A close friend, a spouse, a family member. If anybody else did it, it wouldn't hurt so bad. But their proximity is what makes it hurt. Jesus knows betrayal. You can go and read all of this in context, but in Matthew 26, I'm just going to read uh, three verses here. He's coming out of the Garden of Gethsemane and... So Judas walks up, says, greetings, Rabbi. Hey, Jesus, how you doing? And he kisses him on the cheek, which was the sign to the mob that it was behind him, that whoever I kiss, he's the one you want. I found this very interesting. So I think it was the New King James, if I remember correct. It says, Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? See, I believe that when Jesus responded, he wasn't just like, you sorry dog. Man, we were at dinner and I told him, I told everybody it was you. I knew it. I can't believe I trusted you. Judas, I trusted you with the money and you sold me out for 30 pieces of silver. Like Judas, let me tell you, I already know what you did. And yet he calls him friend. That's challenging to me. Judas was in the act of betrayal. And I believe that Jesus looked at him with eyes of love, saying, Judas, I know what you've done, but I love you anyways, and you're still my friend. Judas, I'm still here for you. That is like beyond human kind of love, beyond human kind of understanding. I can't fathom that kind of love. Because I'm ready for judge, jury, executioner. Like, let's do it. 
It says, and then they came and they laid their hands on Jesus. They probably began to kind of rough him up a bit, just shaking him around. Whatever. It says, and then suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword. And it says that he struck the servant of the high priest and cut his ear off. You only need one guess for which disciple that was. But Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Peter, put the knife down. Some of you have been sharpening a blade for a long time. Waiting for your moment. Just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get my moment. And when I do, it's going to be so satisfactory. It's going to be awesome. And even, I'm telling you, even if you got your moment of revenge, it will not be satisfying like you think. I'll even go a step further. You will actually find yourself depressed the next day. Why? Because it didn't satisfy you like you thought it should have. And now that sends you down a whole different dark hole saying, I thought when I got my revenge, I'd feel better. Why am I so depressed? Ain't you glad you came to church today? I told you, get your steel toes on this morning. See, Jesus understood something. We use this scripture all the time for giving, but it's not actually about giving. The principle is universal, but what Jesus is actually in context speaking of, Luke 6, 38, given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give unto your bosom. We talk about finances. Jesus is talking about forgiveness. See, you do reap what you sow. If you sow some judgment, you're going to reap it back. It's like a boomerang. Here's the thing about a boomerang. If you throw it right, you better watch out. Why? Because it's coming back. It don't matter if you're looking or not. It's coming back. You know, the only thing worse than getting hit by a boomerang is getting hit by one you didn't see. Just think about it. So we see Jesus here. He loves Judas, my friend. I actually believe that Jesus' heart was breaking for Judas in that moment. Because he already knew what the outcome would be for him. Here's another interesting fact about this. Judas kept the money for Jesus, and the Bible tells us that he stole money constantly. How come Jesus never said anything to him about it? Because Jesus had to know. He's literally stealing from the king of kings. And he fed him. He ate with him. He walked with him. Again, David ain't there. Because I'm going to cut somebody. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, we, mm. But again, this, I mean, this is the bio, this is not like my, this is what the scriptures say. This is the example that I see that Jesus lived. On the cross, they've beaten him. They've cut him. They've insulted him. They've spit on him. They've pulled his beard out. They've pulled his hair out. They've gambled for his clothes. All of these things. And he's hanging on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. 
First Peter tells us this about this account. First Peter two twenty one through twenty three. It says, "For this you were called." Now that's the good part. It's about to get hard. For this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. If you want to claim the name of Christ, you have to follow in his steps. Why? Because he gave us the example. He gave us the play. We just got to run it. It says, and this is speaking of Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, when he was insulted, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to the one who judges righteously. Put your gavel down and trust the Lord because he rules justly. We love to talk about grace and mercy when we talk about ourselves. We just don't like to apply it to others with the same effort, energy. God in his mercy is infinite beyond our understanding. And I don't understand why God is merciful and why God isn't at times. I'm like, Lord, now would be a great time to get them. I don't know if you're aware. But yet he, he gives mercy. To people I don't think deserve it. But I have to trust that he's a righteous judge. Whether I understand it, whether I like it, whether I agree with it, whether I hate his decision. God, I'm going to trust that situation to you. I'm not the judge, you are. And even it says here, is that Jesus gave us a pattern that Jesus didn't respond. Why? Because he had committed himself that he trusted the one who would judge righteously. Just a little thought as I was kind of sitting, writing, thinking. This kind of goes back to Jesus on the cross. Is that Jesus didn't speak to or about the ones that were insulting him. But he did speak, or to go back from a scripture earlier. Instead, he spoke to the one that mattered to the most for them. Hanging on the cross, Jesus did not respond to their insults. He talked to God on their behalf. He began to pray, actually a blessing upon God, don't hold this to their account. Don't hold this against them. Now I know, because look, I'm as human as everybody else. Well, I'm not Jesus. He was perfect and I'm not. Some of you may be thinking that. Well, let me give you an example of somebody in the scriptures who displays almost this exact same nature and character that Christ does. It's in Acts chapter 7, two verses here. Stephen It's the first recorded martyr in Scripture. In Acts 7, it says that he goes and he's declaring the Word of God and people are convicted by it and these things begin to happen, but all of a sudden the tables turn. It says that their hearts were pricked to the core and all of a sudden they became enraged about it and they began to push him to the edge of a city and pushed him into a pit, most likely, and then picked up stones and began to hurl them down at him. And it says, and as they stoned him, in verse 59, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. It says, he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. So you have Jesus. Well, he's Jesus. He's Messiah. He's perfection personified. But now you have Stephen. 
By the way, in the previous verses to this, the Bible says that before he began to yell out, do not hold this, it says he looked up into the heavens and Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. It's the only portion of scripture where we see Jesus standing, not sitting at the right hand of God. In other words, he stood up for Stephen and was looking from the balcony of heaven. And what did he hear? Do not hold this against them. And he died. Well, how could Stephen do that? Because if Stephen could do it as a human being, just as natural as we are, how can we do that? Because there's no way. Like I, I'm like, Lord, help me. Like, increase my faith. Because seven times 70 seems easier than that. But I'm going to need you to increase my faith, Lord. I'm going to need some divine assistance because I, I don't possess that. Just a couple verses up. I believe that the key is actually in verse 55. I'm just going to read just one, one little portion of it. And it says that he, which is Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit. Being full of the power and the presence of God. Stephen being full of the Holy Spirit. Not like a quarter tank. Not three quarters of a tank. Full of the Holy Spirit. The only way that I get full of the Holy Spirit is to empty me of me. That doesn't mean that I lose my personality. It doesn't mean that it changes me. Well, it will change me, but for the good. But what it means is I have to get rid of selfish ambition. I have to... I mean, even selfish revenge is really just self-protection mode. I have to let go of all of those things and say, Father, don't hold it against them. Forgive them because I've forgiven them. Release them because I've released them. So if we're going to do what Stephen did, we have to be what Stephen was. And he was a man full of the power and the presence and the ability of the Holy Spirit. See, we need the Holy Spirit more than we know. I need the Holy Spirit more than I want to admit. Every day, all the time. Why? Because without the Holy Spirit, I'm just a human being. But with the Holy Spirit, there's a supernatural power at work within me. It doesn't demand its own right. It doesn't demand its own ways. It's not self-seeking. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Go read 4 through 8. I would encourage you, you, personalize it. Every time it says love, put the word I in there and begin to confess that. I am patient and I am kind. It kind of changes the scriptures a little bit. Makes it way more personal. One last scripture for you. I know I've given you a ton of scripture today, but it's not my words that changes. It's the word of God. I don't need you to be confident in what I've said. What I need you to do is to be confident in God's word. He's the one who watches his word to make it happen in your life, not me. My job is to communicate it to you. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm just, three verses and we'll wrap up. I would encourage you later, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3, the first part of verse 3. I would encourage you to read all the way down to verse 12 later. So jot that in your notes. Go back and read down to verse 12. The Apostle Paul writing here says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Let me rephrase that. 
that you should develop continuously. That you should continually be growing, developing, having the nature and the character of Christ formed in you more and more. It says, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. In other words, we've already told you how to live. You already know what to do. You got to do it more. You got to apply it more. It says, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Now that's a biblical word and most people are like, what does that mean? Think of the word to sanctify, to cleanse, to purify, to sanitize. That would be a modern word that we would use as sanctification. To sanitize. Let me give you one, just another one. Sanctification is development. And every single person in here and that's watching today needs to grow. I'll start with me. I need sanctification in my life. The Bible tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? It really means to work in what God is trying to work out. God's trying to get some things out of me so that he can put some things in me. That's sanctification. And it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. I mean, there were some things I got saved. Jesus became real to me. There were some things that seemed like instantaneously something shifted in me. And there have been things that I've now been walking with for 26 years. And if I'm not careful, you would think I wasn't even saved sometimes. But this is what I do know, is I am not who I once was. I just practically, I have dealt a lot with my anger. Like, I'm a very black and white person. You do right. And if you do me wrong, I will set it straight. And the Lord has had to teach me. And I'm so thankful for His graciousness and His mercy with me. To help me, to walk with me, so that I learn how to actually love without hypocrisy, but to truly love people in spite of their mess, in the middle of their mess, in the middle of their mess that hurts me, that I still have to choose to love. Sanctification means it's about development, it's about our movement forward. We all have steps to take. My question for you is what's yours? Is there, you got a revenge pocket back here? You got a few names on a list? It might be time to let Jesus take the list. Why? Because Jesus has your development in mind. See, the Bible tells we're to be formed more and more and more into the image of Christ. So this morning, I want to pray over you. And I specifically want to pray for the Holy Spirit to help every one of us. Because look, I know that I'm up here preaching this, but I'm telling you, I'm convicted by what I'm telling you. Because even as I'm communicating to you, there are names popping up in my brain. So I'm not 
up here talking about this from a place that I got it figured out. I got some work to do is what I got. And that's the challenge of God's word. I don't want to be like the culture around me. I want to live in the power of the spirit of God. And it takes the Holy Spirit just as it did with, with Stephen there. That he was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was able to, to display an act of love that kind of goes beyond what my brain can fully wrap my hands around it. But let me encourage you today. You can do this. You really can. The life of God is on the inside of you. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Perfection's not the standard. It's not the goal. The goal is just to be more like Jesus. And I'm going to continue. I'm be like, you know what? I still messed up a little bit, man. It was way better than the last time I had this moment. I didn't respond as bad as I did. I'm making some progress. And the heavens applaud your progress. Let me pray this morning. Father God, I just thank you right now for every person that is in this room right now. Father, I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, that there's healing. There's things being released right now. If there's things that have popped up in your mind, in your soul today as I've been speaking, I would encourage you just to let it go. Maybe it's a name. Maybe it's a situation. Somebody may have passed away and you say, oh, it's it's too late to, to forgive them. No, it's not. You're still here and you still carry that wound and it's time to let it go. God wants to heal. Doesn't mean what they did was right. Doesn't mean that it was justified. But what you are saying is, Jesus, I'm tired of not being well and I want you to heal me. So I'm going to let this go. And And so you may even need to say that, Jesus, I give this situation, this circumstance, this person to you. And I refuse to carry it any longer. Father, help me to love the way that you have. That you've instructed me to. So Father I just thank you right now. For your Holy Spirit ministering. To every heart that's open right now. Holy Spirit you're a genius. You are so kind. And loving. And gracious. And gentle. We just open up our hearts. And say Holy Spirit come in and do the work of a master surgeon in our soul. Take out anger and bitterness and resentment and despair and regret. Holy Spirit, we trust you. You are so trustworthy. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father, we thank you that you have loved us so much. Father, you've done such incredible things for us. And Father, that we're just in process, that you're still working and still doing that which only you can do in us. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness, your grace, your, your, your patience with us. Father, even as we're processing through things, we thank you that you never leave. But, Father, you always come alongside of us and help us and walk with us.